Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Hello and welcome to Here's Where It Went Wrong, the podcast where every week we have on one of our favorite comedians to talk about one of their favorite things, and we trace its history to find out exactly where it all went off the rails. I'm Windsor Powers. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Andrew Nadeau. Andrew, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing so good, as we're going to get right into this, because we actually did our intro up top just talking, but we've got a fantastic solo episode here where we talk about one of the things that makes when angriest, which is always amazing to discuss. So let's get right into it. Let's go. So guys, we do a clap sync to like get us all like the audio lined up for our editor. And if you listen to our last episode, I hurt my wrist. So I just confidently just clapped and hurt myself. So that's a great indicator of how the rest of this episode is going to go. Welcome to when being 30. God, no, it's not me being 30. It's me being a drunk idiot who punched an arcade game just so we're all in the same. Oh, that's better. I told Andrew I punched an arcade game and he went around for like three days trying to figure out how to end our friendship because he's like when has rage issues do we need to talk about this like i mean like i've lost it pac-man it's not that bad <laughs> yeah when was playing streets of rage and got furious <laughs> <laughs> when what have you got for us ah uh, andrew i'm so glad that we're doing this we got no real projects to plug it's just a you and me episode today that's right and i love these these are so fun like i i love all our guests i'm so happy with the comedians we get to work with but also you and i have stuff that we obsess about that we can't make anybody else talk to with us and this is great. This gives us a chance to just go full nerd on. And this one's yours. You had apt nerd rage. We talked about this before we even started the podcast. We we're discussing ideas. And you said, I got to talk about this. And I said, I kind of liked it. <laughs> no, no, Andrew, I was so passionate about this topic. I was just like, this movie is a piece of shit. And like you were like, when I just rewatched this movie, it's a really good movie. Like, what's your problem? <laughs> It's not the best in the series, but I, I enjoyed it. So what's the movie win? Well, before that, usually when we have a guest on, we talk about their projects and what they're working on. But Andrew, I want to talk about your projects and what you're working on because you have a cartoon strip out right now that's so fucking good. I do. Thank you so much. And it's in line with this topic anyways. So this works perfectly. It is. <laughs> 
<laughs> I do. I have, I have one that I'm, I love so much called uh, Mediocre Superheroes. You can find it at, at Mediocre Heroes on Twitter and Instagram and, and everywhere. I worked with Phil Thompson, who's just this fantastic artist. We came up with this concept together and we feature well-known heroes as well as our own heroes now putting together their team and just being incredibly not great at the job of being heroes. And it's been so fun to work on. This is a weekly strip out every Tuesday. I'm so happy with it. It's so good. Like the heroes that you also created for it. Like who are these characters that you've created? Give us a quick taste. We haven't even gotten into their, their powers too much. I think the last one we introduced was Robolt, which is a super strong robot whose weakness is not understanding human emotion or why we act like idiots. We have the Goose Whisperer, who's your standard animal talker, but is incredibly socially awkward. There's a lot of like real human weaknesses here. We have Captain, I'm not sure we even stuck with this name. We went back and forth on names for this guy because I came up with the name Psychonaut for this character and we're like, that's perfect. And then we found out that's a video game. Oh no. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> all right. So we have Captain Psych, who's a leader of this ragtab team, who's psychic, Professor X type, but also easily gets his feelings hurt, which is just not great for anyone that can read your thoughts. That's such a good gag. <laughs> <laughs> and Fabricator, I'm so looking forward to exploring her character more because she can build absolutely anything, but continues doing so in what is <laughs> the thing when you build a machine, like unnecessary steps. Rue Goldberg machine? Yes. Everything she builds is absolutely incredibly effective, but done in this Rube Goldberg machine form. So this is our team of heroes that has now been assembled. We're going to introduce some more concepts. We have our Christmas strip coming out first next week. And then, yeah, we get to get into all of these characters and their backstories and what it's like to be a hero when, like the rest of us, you might not be great at your job. I love it so much, Andrew. This trip is so good. It's, it's been out for a few months now. I feel like it's picking up some good traction and we haven't promoted it here on this podcast and it's our show. Why are we doing that? You're right. <laughs> no, it's, it's doing really well. I'm so happy that every strip we're getting more followers, which is fantastic to see. And yeah, it's it's been so fun to write for and Phil has been so great at helping me, you know, come up with these characters and figuring out what they should embody. It's been a lot of fun and it's recently we've, we've started introducing some classics and having the awkwardness of Batman and and, you know, what it would be like in the, the non-hero moments. So it's been so much fun. What a great segue too, by the way, because our topic for today, we're actually doing our first sequel episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> from back when we were very bad at podcasts. Remember when this was a movie podcast? Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're touching back a little bit on that as we covered, and I think our second or third episode, we covered Batman and Robin, which we all agreed was just absolutely terrible. So bad. Incredibly bad. It was so bad and it had a character that we believed was not given the justice he deserved in Bane. And with Wen's passionate hatred <laughs> for this Christopher Nolan film and how, again, they didn't do Bane right, we thought this was absolutely perfect to cover in The Dark Knight Rises. Yes, so you know where it's going to go wrong, but let's get into The Dark Knight Rises or The Dark Knight Trilogy in general. Because after Batman and Robin came out, that movie made $150 million worldwide, which like is mind-blowing money that if I ever saw I would go insane but for a Warner Brothers Studios they were like this is fucking garbage. Which makes sense because like every movie has to make a billion dollars now or it's a failure. Right. And like honestly that was great for that movie. That was the kind of movie you ask for a refund from. So 150 you should have been happy with it but instead not so much. Speaking of refunds George Clooney is said to give out refunds to anybody who walks up to him and asks him for one for Batman and Robin and he's right to do so. Does he really? That is incredible. <laughs> he will hand them ten dollars to make up for the fact that they paid to see Batman and Robin in a theater. <laughs> Ha ha ha. 
So yeah, that was absolutely the right one to cover first. And yeah, you got some good history here on how this movie came to be. Right, because at first, Batman Robin, they thought that was going to be a hit. They were watching the dailies, like the clips and everything of when they were filming it. The studio execs were looking at this and they're like, we have a bona fide fucking hit on our hands. Children (laughs) are going to love it. Toys are going to fly off the shelves. We need to start making another one right now. They announced that they were going to release a new Batman Robin movie in 1999. It was going to come out and it was going to be called Batman Unchained. And it was going to be about the Scarecrow using his fear poison on Batman and making his greatest fear come to life, which would be Jack Nicholson's Joker from the 1989 Batman coming back. And to do this, Scarecrow is going to team up with Harley Quinn, a character who you got to remember at this time just existed. This character just became a thing in the animated series that came out in the 90s. So it was going to be like a big thing. They're going to bring her over into the movies. They were going to say she was going to be Joker's daughter, which whatever. Like at that point, she's still wearing the black and red suit, right? She's not the Harley Quinn of today. For a second there, despite even knowing this backstory from when you told me before, I heard Jack Nicholson. I was like, oh my God, his greatest fear is Jack Nicholson. And because I completely forgot <laughs> that he played I mean, the Joker. You, you've seen Jack Nicholson, right? Like, it's like, yeah, Jack Nicholson, it's a little bit scary. Uh, <laughs> Heath Ledger gets all the accolades, but like Jack Nicholson really is a good Joker. If you ever get a chance to watch the 1989 Batman again, because it's one of my wife's favorite movies and we watch it all the time together. He's so fucking good in that movie. He was great. And obviously uh, Batman's got darker, but no, he was a, a fun, evil Joker. <laughs> yeah, no. And like, especially if you only knew the Cesar Romero 1960s, like With the makeup over the mustache, like <laughs> God, it was so cheesy when Cesar Romero had that white, like caked on makeup over clearly what is a mustache on his face because he refused to shave it. (laughs) But yeah, Schumacher wanted to make this like a dark Batman movie. He wanted to like bring the character back to his roots. So he like talked to Nicolas Cage about playing Scarecrow. Just imagine Nicolas Cage playing Scarecrow. It is like a fucking perfect casting. Bring back Jack Nicholson. Clooney, who is not great in Batman Robin, but like give him another shot at it. We know how good he is as an actor, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he's a great actor. Give him a chance to do it. But even before like the movie actually like Batman Robin came out and bombed and they scrapped this whole thing, Schumacher was already fucking it up because like I was convinced that Nicolas Cage was actually going to be in this movie. Like they were talking to him about doing a cameo in Batman and Robin to set up for the next movie. But Schumacher changed his mind and I shit you not Coolio was cast instead (laughs) how bad is this guy at casting movies as the scarecrow as the scarecrow he had Nicolas Cage lined up and then decided to shift gears and get rapper Coolio instead and not even like I mean there are rappers that act we have Ice-T we have LL Cool J Coolio was not one of those (laughs) no he's not one of those and also like this is like 1990s Nicolas Cage you're about to get 90s Cage yeah that's Cage (laughs) that's That's good stuff best cage like and you're gonna have him in your superhero movie you say no 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 coolio right <laughs> quick nicholas cage sidetrack by the way i watched pig this weekend i thought it was gonna be like a john wick style like action shoot him up that nicholas cage makes now and it turns out if he doesn't get nominated for an oscar my feelings are gonna get hurt it is so <laughs> good it's like he did it just to be like by the way guys i'm actually still a really good actor yeah <laughs> 
I have no idea how Nick Cage picks his projects. Like there was that period where it was almost like he was cursed by a genie and wasn't allowed to say no. Like he made the wish to, I want to be in a lot of movies. And the genie's like, well, here's the twist. No matter what anyone offers, you got to do it. He lost so much money in his divorces and he owns a castle. So like he has to like constantly replenish his bank account because of that. But the movies he makes now, I mean, Willy's Wonderland is a movie where he fights Chuck E. Cheese style animatronics in a closed down like children's playtime area and it's fucking wild and so i started watching pig thinking it was going to be that and it just turned out to be one of the most wild just like meditation on grief and loss that i've ever seen in my life and it was so odd because i was really like sitting down for what i thought was going to be a john wick action movie we're like john wick but pig yeah that made perfect sense like instead of a dog it's a pig and then yeah (laughs) deep emotional turmoil i got fucking destroyed by that movie but anyways so batman robin comes out makes a 130 150 million dollars worldwide warner bros says get the fuck out of here we're going to try to work other movies into this so first off batman beyond the cartoon that followed batman the animated series was a big hit for kids wb so they thought they were going to make a batman beyond movie were you a fan of the cartoon by the way i didn't watch many of the batman cartoons at that time i've checked out a little bit now but at that time i really didn't watch superhero cartoons i'm a huge fan and so like batman beyond was like oh it's like them doing spider-man but as Batman like it's not Bruce Wayne it's like a young guy that just like steals the suit and Bruce Wayne is an old man with a cane so he's now his mentor and like they fight crime with Bruce on the headset but this guy gives quips and he's like has like a Spider-Man kind of like approach to it it's fun and so they actually hired Paul Dini who is one of the greatest Batman writers of all time he is one of the people that came up with Harley Quinn for the Batman animated series he wrote some of the best episodes of that of all time he wrote most of the Batman Arkham games Like this guy gets Batman on like a high level and they were hiring him to a Batman Beyond movie. Who would you think you would hire in early 2000s to play old man Bruce Wayne? Because I promise you when I tell you this casting, you're going to lose your shit. I mean, okay, maybe Sean Connery. Okay, that would have also been good. Clint Eastwood. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Clint Eastwood playing like an old man Bruce Wayne. It's genius. It's such a great casting. But once again, they re-looked at it and they're like, Batman Beyond is a cartoon that's aired for one season. Do we really want to throw a hundred million dollars at this? And so they decided no. So they let that fall by the wayside. So then they were letting people come in and just kind of pitch movies to them. So the next movie that they were going to try to make is going to be called Batman Dark Knight. But they spelled it fucking weird. It was D-A-R capital K Knight. They didn't break (laughs) it up. They made it all one word. Like just seeing that title makes you know how good that this was going to be. But it was going to be like Batman's retired but now he comes back because once again scarecrow they were going to use scarecrow again and then they're going to have scarecrow test his experiments on someone and make them into man bat and if you know batman there's batman he's a guy who dresses as a bat and then there's man bat who's a guy that turns into a giant bat and eats people (laughs) and that was going to be this movie and once again they were like maybe not this one. I love that, like, when I first heard about Man Bat, I was like, oh, okay, it's an unrelated thing. And then I found out, like, no, they had Batman and they created a character <laughs> that is a Batman and named him Man Bat within the same series. And it was like, that doesn't feel like something that you should be able to do in writing. But it worked great. Man Bat sounds like a character that 
they were like, we need a new Batman bad guy and we need him now. And somebody just panicked and they yelled, man bats. <laughs> it's the same way that they came up with the original Batman theme song where they just had absolutely no time. And so it's like, what if we just go da 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 a lot and then say the name? And they're like, love it. That's in the can print. That's the movie right there. We're yeah. doing that one. That's the theme song. You nailed it. You're going to go far in this business. That's the guy that came up with the hot pockets. <laughs> Same guy killing it for years. I just remember that's a great Jim Gaffigan bit. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, check out the Jim Gaffigan bit. It's fantastic. But anyways, they decide maybe we're not going to do the Man Bat movie. So now they're focusing on making a Batman Year One movie. Batman Year One is a Frank Miller comic that came out in 1987, which is about like the very first year of Batman's career. He has decided he's going to be Batman. He's kind of first chased by Lieutenant Gordon. He's not commissioner yet. And it's kind of like him and Lieutenant Gordon, their stories parallel and how they kind of intersect in each other's lives and become a team through the fact that the police is corrupting Gotham. It's a great comic. It's fantastic. The art's really good if you ever get a chance to check it out. So they actually hire Darren Aronofsky to make this movie. And I am somebody who fucking loves Darren Aronofsky. Are you a fan of the work? Oh, we talked about it before, right? On, on this, have we covered Darren? I believe we have, but he did Pie, Requiem for a Dream, The Fountain, which is my wife's favorite movie he is a very great director with like a very like interesting vision and people were super interested in an Aronofsky directed Batman because that is a fucking wild premise that you're going to give a director of this caliber Batman and Aronofsky turned around and he said cool I'm gonna have him be like a crazy homeless guy who like goes out <laughs> and kicks the shit out of people in the middle of the night the Batmobile is just a regular car and it's worked on by a mechanic the mechanic is Alfred <laughs> but he's just some guy named Big Al, and it's going to be a hard R. We're going to show <laughs> violence. We're going to show sex, and we're going to show blood. And Warner Brothers said, okay, cool, but like a rated R film that children can watch that will sell toys? And he was just like, well, no, I'm Darren Aronofsky. And they were like, too bad. And so they just kind of scrapped that one. And that movie never saw the light of day. It was like, have you not seen my IMDb page? What did you think you were going to get from me here? Yeah, did you think that the future director of Mother was going to make a really by the the books Batman movie <laughs> but you know who he met to play Batman in this movie who Christian Bale yes <laughs> so around the time American Psycho came out they were just like Christian Bale would be perfect for this so he met for it Joaquin Phoenix and Freddie Prince Jr. which is like two opposite ends of the actor spectrum both met to play this but once again they decided not to move on with it because instead they were going to make a Batman versus Superman movie which we all know how this turned out years and years later but originally it was going to be a movie where like it's like later on in their careers and like Lois Lane and Superman got divorced and Batman's <laughs> wife has been murdered. Lex Luthor sets it up so that he thinks Superman is the reason that all this bad stuff is happening. But then it turns out, no, Lex Luthor's behind us. They got to fight Lex Luthor. And like they were like all set to make this movie. And they were actually approaching a young actor to be Batman in this movie. It was almost cast. And his name was Christian Bale. <laughs> All right, at least they figured something out early. Yeah, the one through line is that they were like, okay, we got to get Christian Bale in this fucking movie somehow. And they just kept meeting with him. So once again, they were just like, this movie is never going to get made. This is not a good script. So they shelved it. Instead, they were going to focus on for a little bit a Justice League movie. In this Justice League movie, they met with a young actor to play Batman. 
And who do you think that actor was, Andrew? I feel like it was probably Christian Bale. It wasn't. It was Army Hammer, future cannibal. <laughs> <laughs> that movie, though, was going to be directed by George Miller of Mad Max fame. And knowing that probably would have fucking kicked ass. Honestly, that would have been pretty great. So it's amazing the movies that did get made for all of the ones that, I mean, just as someone who is writing pilots and looking to make features, it gives you almost no hope that like how close these giant projects get before getting canceled. But then they end up with a much worse movie like two decades later. That Batman vs. Superman could have been pretty cool. Could have. I mean, we'll never know. Look, there's another example of this that I want to cover in another episode and I'll, I'll give a brief thing on it now. But if you want to know how close a project can get, for one, this Justice League movie had costumes made and everyone was on set and then they were told to just go home. Oh God. Which like, can you imagine <laughs> being cast as one of these superheroes? Like this is going to be your big break. This is going to be the biggest movie of all time. It was going to be a Justice League movie that was going to come out years before the Avengers were even like a thought. And yet you're like in costume, you're wearing your like the Flash costume. And then they're like, okay, sorry guys, everyone's got to leave. We're not doing the movie anymore. Oh God, that is heartbreaking. And also like, I feel like it's one of those, like I get it, you're going to spend a hundred million dollars, but you probably already spent a million dollars just getting the costumes and the locations and everybody there. Getting everyone to Australia in the first place. Yeah. Right. Like just get it done. Just, <laughs> just, just put something out there. Some people already like denied other films because they're like, fuck you. I'm about to play Superman in a Justice League movie. I don't need your rom-com. Right. <laughs> I would still put it on my resume, honestly. Like I, <laughs> they would ask to see it. It's like, well, you can't, you can't watch it, but it was a thing for a little while. I would have stolen the costume. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That's the least you get from this. It's like, no, this is mine now. The last possible project that they tried to make with Batman, Joss Whedon was the next person to try to pitch to Warner Brothers this movie. And it was going to be a Batman origin movie based again on year one, a little bit more faithful. And he was super passionate about it. I actually read like there was going to be an excerpt from it. And I kind of really like this idea. Batman's parents died when he's nine in Crime Alley. There's going to be a scene where like he's 12 and he's walking by like a similar alley, not the same one, but a similar one. And like a group of guys are like picking on like a young girl. And so like he gets in there and he's just like about to like stand up for him and just like, hey, you cut that out. And all of them like turn to look at him and they are all just about to beat the shit out of him and it cuts to the mansion where Alfred's like running like something's wrong and he like because the door just shut Bruce is coming home super late he's only 12 years old and he gets to Bruce and he's fine and he just goes I did it I can stop them oh my god that's incredible <laughs> it's just like chills I'm in instantly how do you not make that how do you not make that movie well it turns out the reason they didn't make it was because he was all Joss Whedon about it and tried to make up his own bad guy and refused to use any of the other ones that were already made just fucking use Scarecrow I love Scarecrow everyone wants to put Scarecrow in a movie so finally they finally hire Christopher Nolan and David S. Goyer to work together on a script for what would eventually become Batman Begins. And they pretty much said, hey guys, we have a few elements floating around for a movie that we really want to use for Batman. We want it to be year one because we've had three year one scripts and all of them we've said no to. We want to use Scarecrow because everyone's pitching Scarecrow. We've never heard of this guy, but we want him in the movie. And then they were like, and also there's this, uh, there's this actor that keeps meeting up with us for Batman. His name's Christian Bale. And if you could have a meeting with him, that would be great. But also, you know who who else Christopher Nolan met with that I also love and wish this casting happened? Who? David Boreanaz from Angel. Oh, God. <laughs> 
it's interesting. You see him in things. You're like, oh, hey, David Boreanaz. Like, it's, he's, he's always enjoyable when you see him. He's always enjoyable. But, like, at the time, he was, like, a, a heartthrob with, like, spiky hair. And he was Angel. So, like, the thought of him being Bruce Wayne is so wild to me now. But at the time, I could see it working. If he had played, like, any other vampire, it might have been okay. But, yeah. <laughs> If he was Spike, that movie would have been made, goddammit. Yes. <laughs> it's very funny to me that they said, fuck you, Joss Whedon. We don't want this script if you're not going to use one of the established villains. And then they're like, David Boreanaz from Angel and Buffy. You want to come over here and, and read for this? Right. <laughs> Speaking of, David Boreanaz has had a fucking career. It's all over the place. <laughs> like, just as a sidetrack, Buffy came out in like 1997? And he hasn't missed a season of television. He did three seasons of Buffy, five seasons of Angel, immediately after Angel did 12 seasons of Bones, and then has been in SEAL Team because like he only had a few months after Bones ended for SEAL Team to start. He has not been off television for a single season since 1997, which is wild. God, you know, he did that horror movie. Valentine. Right, which like <laughs> that bombed it. I remember him like trying to make it into film and I really did enjoy him from Buffy and Angel. So I was thinking like, oh, he didn't make it there, but you're right like straight into Bones and that was just going on forever. So yeah, David Boreanaz, good job. Still killing it. He beat Kelsey Grammer. Kelsey Grammer <laughs> was on TV for 22 seasons in prime time. David Boreanaz is going on what has to be, what, 24 years? That's wild. That's incredible. So David Boreanaz, if you want to come on and talk about it, we'd love to have you. Yeah, I would love to have David Boreanaz on. I would really like to talk about Buffy, Angel, possibly being Batman, all of it. I have never been more confident that someone is not listening to this podcast. Like occasionally, we throw it out there. <laughs> I would love for David Boreanaz to be our biggest fan. Please, David Boreanaz, if you're listening to this, anyone who knows David Boreanaz, please send him this episode. I've seen all of it. I've seen Buffy, Angel, Bones, SEAL Team. I saw Valentine. We watched all of it. David Boreanaz, we're all in with you. <laughs> Do you hear that, David? Me and Andrew have both watched Valentine. Do you know how much of fans of you we have to be to have sat through Valentine? I did this to myself recently. I was just like, no, Valentine had to be better than how I remember it. It was part of that like glut of scream ripoffs. How could that be bad? And then it turns out it's horrible. Well, guys, I believe if any of you do know David Boreanaz and are asking him to be on the show, tell him to skip that little part right there. But other than that... <laughs> He had Family Guy cameos, too, that were funny. Like, he's he's actually, he's a funny guy. Yeah, I really enjoy it. David, I apologize. Back to Batman Begins. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Christopher Nolan once used bad guys that had never been used before in live action. So he used Scarecrow like the studio wanted. And he also used Rachel Ghoul. And my only problem with that was that they said his name wrong the entire movie. The whole time. <laughs> it's like someone wrote it down. They said, what is this, Ross? And they're like, actually, it's Rach. And he's like, we're not doing that. It's interesting because like one of my favorite spice mixes is Rachel Hanut. It just means head of the table. So obviously, you know, it's demon's head for Rachel Ghoul. But it was one of those things, too, where... 
my background was more cooking than Batman. So every time I hear that, it's like, oh, the spice mix. And it's like, that's not what anyone else has taken from this. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny because in Batman Begins, it's about Batman beginning his career. Yeah, made it very clear. Right there in the title. Scarecrow is running experiments in his fear gas in Arkham Asylum. And then the League of Shadows, which is ran by Ra's al Ghul, is planning to topple Gotham because they are the people who take down empires. And like Batman's the guy who's gonna stop him. And it has a great twist where like Batman's trained by Liam Neeson, who plays this guy Ducard throughout the entire movie. And then it turns out the Ra's al Ghul that you've seen is a figurehead. And the whole time Liam Neeson has been Ra's al Ghul. And that twist never worked for me. And I'll tell you why. He made himself look exactly like that comic book character, whereas the figurehead did not try to look like it at all. Like if you see the cartoon <laughs> of Ra's al Ghul and then see Liam Neeson. They are one for one dead ringers for each other. So I'm a little nerd kid like watching this movie and I like lean over and I ruin it for my mom right in the middle of the theater and then turn back and just keep enjoying myself. I would have loved it if they had a scene in the movie where like Bruce Wayne is just taking some downtime and watching the Batman cartoon and is like, wait a minute, this looks like that guy. <laughs> Fun fact, so usually like in a bunch of adaptations of Batman, they have like the thing Bruce Wayne and his parents are watching before they go outside and get mugged and the killing and whatnot, and the pearls and the pearls fall dramatically. It's a very important shot. Everyone uses it, but it was supposed to be normally he's watching a Zorro movie. It was supposed to be like from that, he gets the whole idea of like a mass crusader and whatnot. And this time they did it, the cartoon with Rachel Ghoul. Yeah, this time they did it with the cartoon. <laughs> that, no. that was a switch, yeah. What they changed it to was an opera about bats because Christopher Nolan wanted to be like, I wanted to show that Bruce Wayne is scared of bats, that his fear of bats got his parents killed because he asked to leave the opera. And it's just like fucked up thing for you to consider Christopher Nolan, but okay. Right. He also didn't <laughs> want to get the idea of Batman seeing a superhero anywhere else. Like he wanted the idea of superheroes to be completely brand new. No one's ever done one before Batman arrives in this world. Oh, that's a really cool thought. I think it's an awesome idea and it works out perfectly. And the movie is so good. I've watched Batman begins probably 30 times. I wore out the DVD. I'd watch it on road trips, like in the back of the car. I loved it. I saw it three times in theaters. Huge fan. I felt like my number was pretty high at like four or five, which just feels stupid now. But either way, I've seen it a lot. It's a great film. It's so fucking good. And of course, it comes out, it makes $372 million worldwide, which right now, if you see that, you'd be like, that's not that much for a Batman movie. Yeah. But for this Batman movie, after the last one only made like 130, they're like, well, yeah, we need to get another one of these things in the can right now. So they approve for them to make the next one. And at the end of Batman Begins, Commissioner Gordon hands Batman a playing card. And he's just like, there's this guy who's robbing banks and he turns it over and it's a joker. And he's just like, I'll handle him, yeah. which made me lose my fucking shit in the theater. It was great. It was a great scene. So then they go about casting this new Batman Batman, the Dark Knight, uh, which we all know. And just as a quick kind of recap, he casts Heath Ledger, who's just off of Brokeback Mountain to play the Joker, and everyone loses their minds. Everyone's fucking pissed off as hell about it. They're like, the 10 things I hate about you guys is the pretty <laughs> boy's gonna be the Joker. They made a bunch of bad Brokeback Mountain jokes because in 2008, you could still be homophobic and people thought it was funny. God, that lasted for a long time for some reason. But yeah, no, they, they there was a, a lot of 
resistance to like what ended up being one of the best castings ever. It's so fucking good. And as you all know, that movie, it's based on The Long Halloween, which is my favorite Batman book of all time. The Long Halloween, if you haven't read it, it's about Batman and Commissioner Gordon teaming up with a up and coming district attorney named Harvey Dent, who always running for district attorney. And they're trying to solve a series of crimes while also trying to take down the mob. And it features like pop-up characters such as Joker coming off for like one-offs. It's about an entire year from Halloween to next Halloween of them trying to track down a serial killer. And it's fantastic. And so you can't use better source material to come up with The Dark Knight about the rise and fall of one Harvey Dent, which is what The Dark Knight is about. It's about the Joker versus these three heroes. Joker bringing down Harvey Dent and making him Two-Face. And then that leading to this dramatic conclusion where Two-Face has Commissioner Gordon's kids. He's doing the whole coin flip thing to see who's going to live or die. Batman appears, tackles him. They go falling off the scaffolding. They hit the ground. It's kind of like ambiguous of what's happening next. So Batman's just like, say I'm the one who kidnapped your kids. Uh, Harvey Dent can be a symbol. And then he like runs off into the darkness and has a big dramatic monologue. And like Heath Ledger, they leave the Joker alive. Because like the bad thing that they do in all previous like superheroes before Batman begins is they would kill the bad guy at the end of the movie. Right. Which obviously they pushed so hard with the code in the Dark Knight. And they did it beautifully too. Yeah, they use the code. They actually use Scarecrow. They bring Scarecrow back at the beginning of the Dark Knight to establish that like there are bad guys who return and become constant nuisances for Batman. And that's what they're kind of setting up for like this next movie. They're like, the Joker is captured, but he's not dead. And him and Batman are always going to be on a collision course with one another. And I think that is one of the coolest ideas I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> and the whole idea for like, they originally were going to have the third movie be all about Two-Face, but then they decided, actually, let's get the Two-Face story out of the way. We'll have Joker here in the corner, and next movie's going to be all about a new bad guy, but Joker's going to be kind of locked up and possibly escape at some point, and they're going to have another tussle. That's Christopher Nolan's idea going into the next one. Unfortunately, Heath Ledger passed away of a drug overdose shortly before the release of The Dark Knight in 2008, which means they don't know what the next movie is going to even be anymore. Which leads me to, here's where it went wrong. <laughs> the Dark Knight Rises. And guys, I know some of you are listening to this and you probably love that movie. I told people we were going to do this episode and they got mad at me when I told them. But this movie <laughs> makes me furious. Andrew, you're someone who watched this and was just like, when you can't rant about The Dark Knight Rises, everyone loves The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, well, this was still uh, early in our podcast career where I was like, well, we can't talk about Chicago Fire because so many people died and now it's like oh okay turns out we can do whatever we want it's our podcast but no this is a movie that is very well liked it was my least favorite of the trilogy but I, I didn't think it was that bad re-watching it with the critical eye of tearing it apart for the podcast I found a lot more wrong with it <laughs> I found a lot of issues with it <laughs> I mean this was one of the biggest movies of all time when it was made it was the 24th highest grossing movie of all time made 1.08 billion dollars. It's been named the 48th greatest film of the decade of the decade it was released. Like it was critically acclaimed. It like it broke records. It got all of this praise. And I sat there 
Andrew, I went to a screening of Batman Begins, followed immediately by The Dark Knight, which that became my sixth viewing of The Dark Knight in a theater. <laughs> Saw it five times on its original release, and then again on this marathon leading up to the midnight showing of The Dark Knight Rises. You know, remember when you could do that. You sat in a theater for like nine hours to watch this? <laughs> I sat in a movie theater for nine hours to watch this movie. And I watched the entire thing. And like, I was sitting there, I was like, this movie's good. This movie's good. No, it's good. I like it. I like. I walked out and like my wife was just like, I didn't really like that one. I was like, no, it was really good. It was really good. You didn't get it. And then I saw it again in theaters where I watched it the entire time just going like, oh no, this wasn't good. This is a bad movie. All right. So what were your issues with this in particular? Okay. So first off, this movie takes place five years after The Dark Knight. And it's supposed to be Batman has retired. He is just good old Bruce Wayne who's putting money into the community and hosting fancy parties for charity. Something that honestly Bruce Wayne should have been doing from the get-go and probably did way more good than Batman ever did. So he's hosting the Dent Act is passed, which is a law that put all the criminals behind bars. Like super problematic too. It turns out you can just arrest anybody for anything seems to be the underlying theme of the Dent Act. Yeah, it's not a good law. I would have filibustered the Dent Act, if we're being honest. But (laughs) Harvey Dent just died, and he died heroically saving Gordon's children in the public view. And they're all blaming Batman. So Batman's underground. But Bruce Wayne is just a guy that lives by himself in a mansion with his butler, and he walks around on a cane. Apparently the fall from the last movie destroyed his leg, and he can't really walk well anymore. He meets Selina Kyle. But things start going down where Batman has to get back into action. And so he goes to a doctor, And the doctor goes, there's no cartilage in your knee. One thing I'd like to comment on here are two things that are just both terrible medically. One starts with Selina Kyle. He's got a cane. As far as she knows, he's not Batman. He's just a normal disabled person and kicks his cane. And that's supposed to be like charming. And it's like, that's kind of fucked up. She's an anti-hero. She's a bad guy. Honestly, I would have been far more okay with her punching him than kicking the cane. But second one, we have Thomas Lennon as a doctor who I love. Thomas Lennon. That was one of those moments where I was like, I do like this movie. Thomas Lennon's in it. (laughs) But he delivers the news where he says, I've seen worse cartilage in these. Giving Bruce Wayne this moment of hope before he says, no, it's because you have no cartilage left in your knees. No cartilage left in his knees. Right. Absolutely horrific delivery where somebody saying like, I've seen worse cancer and they're like, oh good. And they're like, no, it's because you have a really impressive cancer. I've seen worse cartilage because you have no cartilage is like the weirdest thing, is the worst way to phrase that. It is. It's it's just giving him hope before crushing him. It's bad doctoring is what it is. Yeah. It's like, I've seen worse tumors in corpses. And it's like, right. well, thanks you <laughs> fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah. Just absolutely terrible delivery. Why is he doing a bit? Right. <laughs> is, you know what? You get Thomas Lennon and you get what Thomas Lennon brings you. But yeah, they, they introduce this perfect. I'm like, okay, well, one, I don't feel like a cane is anywhere near enough to be handling all this. Yeah, he should be in a wheelchair under these conditions, but sure, cane. And so it's just like, you can't be Batman anymore. You physically can't be Batman anymore. And so he solves that by getting a brace designed by Morgan Freeman's Lucius Fox put on his knee that allows him to kick through a 
fucking stone wall. If you could have built this, I would have done that before all of the injuries that destroyed the cartilage. This could have been significantly helpful in making sure that injury didn't happen. Do you know what he doesn't do for the rest of the movie, Andrew? Is it kick anything? He doesn't kick anything. <laughs> he doesn't kick anything hard for the rest of the movie. Yeah. They do a whole thing of him kicking through a fucking stone pillar like he's going to bring the fucking place down with his mighty robot kicks and then they don't do jack shit with his magical leg throughout the entire movie. Here's something that specifically bothered me is that, and I get it because of physics and the suit is bulky, but his punches in the bat suit are ridiculously slow. He has to turn his whole body. His actual punches <laughs> are the way they've shown the flash to see punches where it's like in moving in slow motion and you can just kind of walk around it. it <laughs> there is no way this could possibly do any damage. Like they put so much detail into Luke and kick so hard this is going to protect you. It's like, cool. Can I hurt anybody in any way? It's like, no, not, not really, man. You could, if you stay mostly feelings, still, yeah, <laughs> you get her feelings really well. This suit works great if you stand perfectly still, but that's about it. So yeah, he can now kick through fucking walls, which whatever. Yeah, fine, <laughs> fine. He can kick through walls, and he's not going to do it as an elective form of fighting. They never figure out how to make Batman fight cool in film until. Ben Affleck and give Ben Affleck in that movie all the shit you want. That was the coolest fight scene Batman's ever had in any movie ever. I know we killed like nine people in it, but it was still <laughs> cool to watch. But they have Bane come in. Bane being Tom Hardy and guys, I know people like want to make fun of I was born in the darkness. I know everyone wants to make fun of that voice and his portrayal. I love it. I think it's great. The only problem with the voice was that it was so easy to do that every frat boy in America thought he had mastered doing impressions. <laughs> You said that right after I did the impression. Well, look, I do it too. I was born in the dark. We all did it. We all did it. But some of us did it with less confidence than the frat boys did it. It was a tough year. I'm going to be honest. It was a tough year to talk to men. <laughs> that was the year. <laughs> that, that was the year too. Because everyone was just talking about how the world was going to end in December. Yeah. And doing it in Bane. Or if you look at the Mayan calendar. <laughs> So, yeah, I actually liked Tom Hardy's portrayal. It was what the world did with it that was the issue. I mean, how cool is the scene where they're just like, what would happen if I took off that mask? You'd be like, it'd be very painful for you. <laughs> it was fantastic. I loved his delivery around it. I thought he did great. Bane is such a cool character that obviously they had to, to mess with some stuff here. But I really liked Tom Hardy's portrayal with it. Didn't you do a bunch of reading on Bane? Because like one of my big things is just like how this movie made me mad because I redeemed Bane and then fucked it up right at the end. Yeah, I did look at him because I had heard a, a while ago about that backstory. I thought it was so cool that I started getting into it. And yeah, this was a cool, brilliant character. And I thought they did kind of portray that well. And obviously they didn't get too much here. Obviously, instead of the venom that gives him his strength, this is supposedly, I assume, some kind of painkiller. Yeah, it's just a painkiller, which is cool. Christopher Nolan does a great job of taking like very silly bad guys and like altering them just enough that they work in the real world, but also are so clearly that character. Like his Joker was not a guy that fell into an acid bath and bleached his skin and lost his mind. Like he had the scars, but like that's like a good entry point. Like that's an actual injury that could happen in the gangster world. And then like he's wearing face paint clearly, but that is so clearly the Joker when you're watching the movie. Like the spirit of the character is there. Bane is a guy that like injects himself with super steroids and becomes the size of a fucking one story house in the comics <laughs> while wearing a luchador wrestling mask and also being the world's 
world's greatest strategist of all time. And then he's just like, okay, how about just a gas mask that gives him some painkiller so he can barrel on through and not feel the pain. And he's also a great strategist. Like, and like that works incredibly well. He's not wearing a luchador mask, but you see it and you're like, oh yeah, that's Bane. Especially compared to like the ridiculousness of the Bane they used in Batman and Robin, where it was like, they just made him like a henchman who could just say Bane. Yeah, well, this is his own name, like a fucking Pokemon. <laughs> What I, I do love about this is clearly the voice using this Bane was inspiration for the Bane they have in Harley Quinn, which is just one of my all time favorite shows now. And I love that they made this Bane like timid and the butt of all the jokes and he's picked on by everybody, but is still still doing this intense Bane voice. But I love that they were also able to take this serious dark voice and then just with a slight twist show how comical this could actually be. Yeah, it, it's so good. The entire time, like someone who's helping Batman in the background is just Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing this character, John Blake, who's a detective who's going to help out Gordon. He's going to help out Batman. You got Marianne Cotillard, who is a fantastic actress who's playing this character, Miranda Tate, who's like a love interest along with Selena Kyle, who's Anne Hathaway's Catwoman. The performances across the board are great. Okay, at some point, Bane and Batman have their showdown. Bane picks up Batman and does the iconic from the comics of breaking the bat, of picking him up and breaking his spine over his knee and throwing him. Incredible moment. I loved it in the theater. Bruce Wayne wakes up. He's in a cave in the desert in the Middle East with no name. <laughs> they managed to take away Bruce Wayne's entire fortune and get it locked by the feds that he can't even touch it anymore. Like he doesn't have a name. He's a nameless prisoner in a hole and nowhere. And while he's gone, Bane takes out a fucking nuclear bomb and he blows up a fucking football stadium. It's incredible. Like the thing <laughs> of like the running back running and he doesn't realize that there's an entire explosion happening behind him. He would notice that in real life, but it's cool. And he's running <laughs> and he's wearing what appears to be the Steelers colors, but it turns out it's just the Gotham Guardians. And he's, he's running and he gets the touchdown. He turns around and he's like, the whole team is dead. Oh no. But I think the points still count. It's only six <laughs> points because no one can kick the extra point because the kicker is dead. I would love it if the next scene was him arguing with the ref and being like, well, like we don't even have the marker anymore. We don't know where to kick from. You should just give us that point. Yeah, come on, just give it to him. He's still pointing to the scoreboard because he's just like, <laughs> right. look, that was on ESPN's top 10 moments of the week. Right. Like you have you have to know that touchdown had to make the top 10 list. Right. But Bane comes out and he's just like, I have a nuclear bomb and it's going to go off if anyone enters the city. I've also gotten the police from these explosions buried underneath. There are no cops and they're doing a weird Occupy Wall Street thing, but like evil, like an evil Occupy Wall Street where they're just like taking rich people out of their homes and throwing them into the streets. And it's just like, so wait, is Christopher Nolan saying that the 1% are the good guys, which I guess is the whole theory of Batman in the first place, but right. it's icky. It feels weird. It, it feels weird. Just be like, poor people suck. And they're turn on you and on fucking dime. If given the chance, <laughs> poor people side with Bane. And it's just like weird. <laughs> it's like, we're, we're all just trying to not get blown up right now. Like it doesn't mean we're on Bane's side here. We just want to not die for a little bit. No, no, the poor people fucking love it. They fucking, they show them the like poor citizens of Gotham dragging people out of penthouses and throwing them on the streets with their suitcases. That's true. Cause I kind of assume like those were the criminals, but there were far too many people. Also they're pulling people out of the hotel rooms and the people are like wearing their furs. And it was like, you were in your room. You don't wear the fur in your room. That's a going out thing. Yeah, no, Christopher Nolan just want to be like, how can I visually show that the rich are rich and it's just like just put them in furs while they're lounging in their homes right <laughs> 
<laughs> As one does. You know how rich people do. <laughs> so like Batman's in a hole in the desert. The whole city is set up that no one can get in or out. He's just like, if anyone comes near, if anyone comes close to crossing the bridge, if we see anyone come close, someone's going to blow up the fucking city with a nuclear bomb and everyone's going to die. So to recap, Bruce Wayne is poor with no name. His back is broken. He's living in a desert. If he even came near Gotham, they have people ready to spot him and blow up the city with a nuclear weapon. So what happens is Bruce Wayne is determined and there's a guy in the cave who's just like, I'm here to help and punches his spine back together. <laughs> Fine. I'll give that there's a guy in this cave that can punch his spine back. And now he learns how to walk without the cane because apparently the back punches fixed his fucking leg. <laughs> they didn't let him keep the knee brace. They took his robot knee brace and they left him with no cartilage in his knee in a hole in the desert with a broken spine. But fine, the power of back punches cured both things. <laughs> and it has a whole thing where he like has to climb and become a man without fear that can jump from one ledge to another and climb out like only one person has ever done before. A child who you think is Bane. But you know the twist. It's Bruce Wayne's love interest playing Talia Al ghoul and it's a terrible fucking twist and one other thing that bugged me about the twist is they show the flashback of talia as a, a child and bane being her savior which means because she is now an adult like in her 40s bane is like easily 55 to 65 at this point if i look like bane in my late 50s early 60s i would be fucking thrilled. Yeah, I don't know how the math worked, but apparently she aged and he did not. And also, I mean, weird place to introduce Talia al Ghul considering there are other storylines with her as the love interest of Batman. No, she's a great character. They just did not plan this great. Right. No, no, she's a great character. It would have been one where it's like, oh, okay. Even I wouldn't agree with the betrayal, but it's like, we find out she's Talia at the very end instead of letting Talia do her thing. Like, I want to see Talia as Talia. Like, if you're a comic book fan, it was the same thing that happened with Raish back in 2005 when I saw Liam Neeson. I was like, that's Raish Al Ghul. Yeah. Like, the second I saw the casting of Cotillard, I was just like, that's Talia Al Ghul. Yeah. Like, you're not going to trick me, Warner Brothers and Christopher Nolan. I'm too nerdy for this shit. Yeah. This was like when anyone who spoke German knew that Darth Vader was the father because that's what Vader means. It was like, if you have any background here, you know what's happening. Exactly. Or like if you speak like Norwegian and you watch the thing, like the whole twist is revealed in the first five minutes of the film. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. Same with Iron Man. They spoil the twist in Iron Man in the first five minutes of the film if you speak the language that they are speaking in. <laughs> that's fantastic. Which I love. I think that's a neat touch. But I was able to just be like, that's Talia the second I saw the casting announcement. So you know, but if you're not a comic nerd like me, that twist probably did a lot for you. Did nothing for me. <laughs> so Bruce Wayne gets out of this hole, but still he's nameless in the desert with zero dollars available to him. And even if he could get back to Gotham, once again, entire armed guards around the city, nuclear bomb. So how's he going to get in? They don't tell you. They just cut <laughs> to him walking through the city. It's just like, you know, guys, you knew he was sneaky. That's probably enough. That's my whole problem with this movie. They set up this whole whole idea of if you take away the physical prowess, if you take away the toys, if you take away the money, who is Bruce Wayne? Is he still Batman? And the whole point of your movie is to say yes. Great concept. That is a great concept. It is to show that Batman is actually the character. Bruce Wayne is the public persona that he wears. That is kind of like the thesis of the movie. What they instead do is they just have him have his back punched, have him get out of this <laughs> hole, and then they just skip over the rest of the premise. Show me how he gets in. I don't care if you set it to a montage set to everybody's 
working for the weekend as he's like hopping on jets and like <laughs> shit and like trying to like sneak on boats and like sneaking into the city. It could be a four minute montage of that. And it would be so much better than just being like him getting out of the hole. And you're like supposed to be like, okay, well now what? And then cut to him walking through a snowy Gotham around Christmas time. Just like, I did it. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, because there are plenty of heroes that have resources and connections all over the world, people that can help them. Batman's whole thing was like every time he needed information on someone, he asked Alfred. This was not something he knew how to do. So the fact that he got out of the pit, which all they named prison was just the pit, got home, got in. Does, does he know anybody? Does he have any contacts? It seems like no, but we don't know how any of it happened. Exactly. It's the whole concept of the film and they just gloss over it so quickly. And that's the point where I I was just like, oh, okay. Christopher Nolan really just wanted to get the money to make Interstellar, but he had to finish the Batman movies first. Which... <laughs> It's tough because I didn't dislike it so much as an overall movie. I really enjoyed it, but there were a couple glaring things. And the big issue was that they were tied to everything. They were tied to this overarching plot of what is significant and what's important and how this is all happening. And then they just kind of threw it in. And then even towards the end, when they have Bane, you know, Batman almost beats him. And then till he's obviously betrayed by Talia. But then he doesn't even be the one that stops Bane at the end after Bane's, you know, regained himself. They have Catwoman come in and do it. Catwoman just comes on and shoots him as a joke. It's a yeah. fuck. It's played as it's played for fucking laughs. Yeah, like she makes this thing a comment about yeah, I, I don't object to, to guns as as much as you do. It's like all right, well, I mean, you shot him with guns on a motorcycle. Those were some big guns. Those probably went through him and maybe hit somebody behind the wall there. But fine, we're not worrying about that part. Also, Catwoman, I don't feel like they explored her nearly enough because they set her up as like okay, here's this bad guy, but she's not super bad. She's just kind of you know looking out for herself. Yeah, she's just trying to clear her. Her record. She's just trying yeah. to clear her criminal record so she can live her life in peace. Fine with me. I, I'm good with that. It was just, I never felt like they gave her enough to see like, okay, well, why is she doing these redeeming acts? You just didn't show us enough of her to show why she would put herself at such risk here. She's into Batman, but just kind of randomly, it's it's weird. You say they don't show enough of her, but they have several money shots of her bent over on the bike just to be like, this is what you wanted, right? Oh God, they have her get on that bike so slow too. It's like, God, we're in a hurry here. We're, we're trying to stop a nuclear bomb. She's like slow. Oh, also, here's another one. They mention that they can't take the, you know, the core out of this device to create the bomb. And they're like, well, you don't even move it. If if you move it, it could explode. And they're driving around the city constantly. Fine. Maybe the potholes aren't a big deal. And then Batman just flies it out on the plane. And he's banging it into walls and streets as it flies through the city. This is a nuclear bomb. Like this, you have a plane that can go straight up, go straight up and then go out. This is, <laughs> this is, it is absolutely going to blow up. I wonder if it's a callback to the 1960s Batman movie where like literally Adam West has a giant bomb with a wick over his head. And he's just running around <laughs> trying to find a place to throw it. They were just like, we can adapt that and make it super serious because like Christopher Nolan has a great way of like mixing like a bunch of Batman things together. Like some stuff from the animated series, some stuff from separate comics and everything. But this movie just doesn't come together in a satisfying way at all. And then like it ends where like Batman flies out, the bomb goes off. They're just like, they're all mourning him. But it turns out he's alive and he's with Catwoman and Alfred sees him at a diner and he like toasts Alfred. It's just kind of like a shh, don't tell kind of thing, fine. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, John Blake, has a bunch of stuff left to him by Bruce Wayne in his will and like goes through. And at one point he hands his ID to get some materials and they're like, oh, I love that first name of yours. Why you should go by it, Robin. Right. <laughs> Everyone in the theater laughed. Like no one thought it was clever. A couple issues with that. One, when in all of this destruction did Bruce 
find time to revise his will and have it notarized. <laughs> Two, imagine the audacity of telling someone your name and then being like, oh, you should go by this other name that you clearly made a choice not to go by. Yeah, that person dead names everybody. Yeah, I don't it, was, it, was, it was horrible. It, it was incredibly rude. And also like at this point too, I'm like, oh cool, but we have Robin with no Batman. So he's just going to train himself, I guess. We haven't seen him to be an amazing fighter or anything yet. Well, like the whole like thing ends with him like stepping on a platform and getting risen up and it's like, oh, he's the new Dark Knight that's rising after Bruce Wayne. But I'm just like, there are so many other Batman you can do and not just name this guy as Robin as his real name. I feel like they were trying to be so clever with it. They could have made him Terry McGinnis, who is the Batman Beyond Batman, or they could have had him be Dick Grayson, who is the original Robin, or Jason Todd. They could have had him be Jason Todd. There are so many Batmans. They could have had him be Damian Wayne and just have him go by a different last name, like have his first name be Damian. There are so many Robins and there are so many future Batmen that they could have used for this. But none of them were named Robin. None of them. There was no None of them were named Robin. And so like, like for a comic nerd thing, like it just makes you mad and it's like just something that's just like you could have done better than this. But that's me nitpicking. I'm mostly just mad about the fucking knee brace about (laughs) having this entire arc of what the movie's supposed to be that they just gloss over. Like individual scenes, incredible. The movie as a whole does not work at all. I do want to discuss one thing that wasn't a flaw in a movie, but more of a personal flaw that this made me realize I have. Because early on, Alfred says, I had this fantasy where I'd look over and I'd see you at a cafe in Italy and we wouldn't say anything. I would just know you were okay and we would go our separate ways. And it was like, oh, that's sweet. And then this is obviously the fantasy they play out in the real world, seeing he's still alive. The last time they talked, they had this massive fight. Alfred is devastated that he's dead. I would need so much more emotional closure to know that someone wasn't mad at me. (laughs) (laughs) You're Michael Caine. You would have been going up and just like, so Master Bruce, before I let you go. It's just, are we cool? (laughs) I get the powerful moment, but it's like, that would be in my head forever. It's like, I need you to say it. I need you to say we're cool and then I can let it go. Yeah. Then you can be whoever the fuck you are now with your criminal girlfriend, by the way. Right. She kicked your cane earlier. Did you remember that? She's kind of a dick. Like, yeah, if you want, we can come back tomorrow and sit here and pretend we just see each other for the first time. But I need this to be clear. And also at this point, they're in Italy and eating somewhere fancy and he still doesn't have any money. Also, God, I'd be pissed as Alfred, too, that he made no efforts to get back the fortune that was going to be left to me as Alfred. Billions of dollars that like it would have been a few simple documents to be like, cool, here's the fraud. So the money goes back to me. I'm dead. It goes to Alfred. But instead, Alfred's left on. There's no severance. He just died with no money. And Alfred's just got to make it on his own now. Yeah, just some random police officer that Bruce Wayne met like three months ago is the new guy. Yeah. That is the end of the movie here. Yes, that is the end of the movie, The Dark Knight Rises, which I guess does bring us to our next segment, In Their Defense. Andrew, please lead us off. Yeah. First of all, I obviously did not dislike the movie. I enjoyed the second movie as like, oh, this is really impressive. I enjoyed The Dark Knight Rises very much as a, oh, stuff is exploding and that's kind of fun. So I'm not going to work on my defense in in that area because we we know my feelings on it. I'm instead going to defend the intent here because as an actual movie, it might not have worked. As a film promoted as propaganda for why socialism is bad, it really did its job well. (laughs) 
It is every right winger's fantasy nightmare. First of all, the prisons are overloaded with criminals, and that's the good part. The good part is we could arrest anybody anytime. The bad part is that even though they've even said there's, there's no parole or anything, they're getting out. So criminals being released, absolutely evil here is the overall message. Then poor people running the streets and trying to live inside houses is the ultimate evil here. They would love to be indoors, and that is wrong for poor people to desire such a thing. They even showed one of the ultimate evils being the destruction of the stock market. That's true. They did have a raid on the stock market where they're like, these guys are evil and they mean business. (laughs) (laughs) And the big message at the end here. But if you watch the scene where he's climbing out of the pit, if you get like maybe three people on that ledge, you can just jump. They could be on top of each other and jump a very small leap. Then you can throw the rope over. You could could get everyone out of that prison by working together. But instead, the overarching message is the only way to escape is to do it on your own by fearing death. With no cartilage (laughs) in your knee. With no cartilage. Absolutely no one can help you. And they even make a big deal about how you're not fearing death enough to escape. This is the ultimate right-wing message. You do it on your own. Poor people are bad. Everyone should be in prison and you should be afraid at all times of anything that doesn't make sense to you. As a propaganda film, it was perfect. Just 100% achieved its goal. That's my in their defense. That's an incredible defense (laughs) of this capitalist as hell film. And I also love how you phrase like if they worked together, they could get out of the pit. It's almost like that riddle where they're just like, you got a fox, a hen, and a bag of seed and a rope. (laughs) You gotta get them across. It's like, as soon as I paused it, I was like, this is, this is a small ledge. If you have like two or three people, (laughs) this is not a hard thing here, guys. So when, what do you have in their defense? In my defense, there are things in this movie that work. Michael Caine, fantastic. Christian Bale, so good. Anne Hathaway gives like a really like fun and like flirty, like, you know, like she plays that femme fatale role so well. Joseph Gordon-Levitt doesn't get a lot to do, but he's fun to watch. Tom Hardy's Bane is iconic. And like, I think like that's the voice now that you kind of hear in your head when you see Bane for the rest of your life at this point. Like that is like a definitive take on that character, even though they made him go out like a fucking bitch at the end with just being shot by a minor character out of nowhere. The scene where they brought back Cillian Murphy to do the whole like kangaroo court where he's like scarecrow and he has like the hay coming out of his shoulder pads and he's making people walk on the ice until they fall through. That's fun. I don't like the fact that they're just like, you know who the criminals are? Uh, The poor and the people with doctrines. Those are the (laughs) ones you have to look out for. But individual scenes work really well. And there are moments where I was able to trick myself into liking the movie while I was watching it that first time because I was able to hang on to these certain things. It's only upon rewatches that I realized that it just doesn't all hang together as a cohesive movie. And I get it. Christopher Nolan had a vision for this movie when he wrote the previous one. Like when he was working on the previous one, he knew where this movie was going to go. And then one of the main pieces that movie passed away. And I understand how now you're kind of left in a position where you have to make a movie that probably you're not passionate about anymore because, you know, your friend just died after working on the last one. He was an integral part of the story. And now you're left with just bits and pieces of ideas that you have to sew back together. And that's what this movie feels like is bits and pieces of good ideas that are just kind of sewn together. Other than the fact that, you know, it's very much a weird anti-socialist movie, but what can you do? (laughs) So I understand what they were going for. There are moments that are great. 
There are performances that are fantastic. It is directed very, very well. You can tell that it's made in a way that they didn't know what they wanted to do with it. They had to have a movie because they had the release date set and they just had to kind of throw it all together. And that's just not what a Christopher Nolan movie is to me. It's like a Christopher Nolan is not a director who throws things together. And I feel like he did with this one and I get it. He was probably also over the character. His plan trajectory is shot. Things that he wanted to say with the character he could no longer say. I get it. I get it. It's not anyone's fault. And you know who I definitely want to understand that is David Boreanaz. If you get a chance, I would love to get your thoughts on this and how you would have done this better if you were involved. <laughs> God, I honestly, I believe David Boreanaz could have saved that movie. David Boreanaz, we will have you on absolutely anytime uh, to talk about this or anything you want to. But I think that about covers it. You've got a really cool history on everything it took and all the almost movies that led up to The Dark Knight and then ultimately where it went wrong and The Dark Knight Rises. And obviously in their defense, we have as a socialist propaganda film, it was absolutely fantastic. There were moments in it from Wednesday defense that were really good. It was just hard when you've gotten used to the previous two movies and you know the epics that Christopher Nolan can produce. But I think that about covers it. When? What do you think? I think we did it. I've been holding on to that rant for nine years. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's what this podcast is for. I'm so glad we could finally get that out. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe. Give us five stars. It helps us out so much. We also have a Patreon down in the show notes. It helps us keep the show running. And I obviously have the at Mediocre Heroes comic strip you can check out now on uh, Twitter and Instagram. We're going to be back next week. We hope you'll join us then. When? I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.